Expectations matter. What do you expect from an SUV? Versatility? A range of sizes built to fit your life? A range of exteriors that all invite stairs? Or being able to take control of more than just the wheel? Expectations matter, but exceeding them matters more. How we get there matters. The Audi family of SUVs. Progress you can feel. Tonight, we are closely watching multiple developing stories that have the world on edge. In Israel, thousands of troops and tanks remain on the border with Gaza, awaiting orders for an anticipated ground offensive, as Gaza descends deeper into a humanitarian crisis. A United Nations agency says Gaza is, quote, running out of life, with dwindling supplies of food, water, energy, and medicine. Up to 600 Americans also remain stuck in Gaza as the Rafah border crossing into Egypt is still closed. Just hours ago, we learned Hamas is offering to release foreign hostages when the necessary conditions are available. But until that actually happens, and honestly, if it happens, the families of what we know to be at least 199 hostages await any word about their loved ones who are being held hostage by Hamas. The terror group also released video footage of a hostage for the first time today. It shows a 21-year-old woman speaking to the camera under duress, and it is unclear when it was actually recorded. Right now, it's 3 a.m. in Israel, and Secretary of State Antony Blinken just concluded a marathon meeting with Prime Minister Netanyahu, stretching more than seven hours through two rounds of air raids and orders to shelter in place. Secretary Blinken is expected to make an announcement at any moment. We will bring that to you live as soon as we hear it starting. In Iran, Tehran's foreign minister gave a stark warning today, saying, quote, if the crimes in Gaza do not stop immediately, new fronts will be opened. That's why we're already seeing action on the border. And this comes while Israel moves to evacuate towns near its border with Lebanon, as tensions are flaring up with the Iranian-backed terror group Hezbollah, one of their proxies. In Brussels, two people were shot dead just hours ago, and the suspect is still at large. While the motive is not yet clear, it is being investigated as a terror attack, and authorities in Belgium say the, sus the suspect posted on social media that he was inspired by the Islamic State. Officials have now raised the threat in Brussels to its highest level. Now, back here at home, President Biden is strongly considering a trip to Israel. Those discussions are happening in the White House as we speak as soon as this week. Three U.S. officials said planning is underway, including on the ground in Israel, for a potential visit. This news comes after the president postponed his trip to Colorado today, instead meeting with his national security team to discuss the escalating conflict in the Middle East. And in Illinois, family gathered today for the funeral of a six-year-old Palestinian boy who was brutally stabbed to death in his home by his landlord. Authorities say he was killed because he was Muslim. And the Department of Justice has now opened a federal hate crimes investigation into this senseless, horrific attack. We, we clearly have so much news to cover tonight. We're going to get into all of it, and we have the perfect people to do it with. Senator Chris Murphy and former Chris, Governor Chris Christie will be among my guests, but we start our coverage tonight with John Brennan, former director of the CIA, and Jeremy Bash, who served as chief of staff at both the CIA and the Pentagon in the Obama administration. Clearly a lot going on. I really appreciate both of you being here with me this evening. And, Director Brennan, I want to start with you, because Hamas says— they're prepared to release the non-Israeli hostages when the necessary conditions are available. That's very vague. How seriously should we take this? And, and how do you think, because what they've also said is they will release foreign nationals, not Israelis. How do you think this could impact Israel's plans for a ground invasion? 
Well, certainly Israel has to listen to these reported offers. Um, I seem to believe that uh, Hamas lacks any credibility at this point and mm. may be facing some internal divisions uh, within Hamas, as well as some external pressure coming from um, Arab states, such as Egypt and Qatar, to try to be at least somewhat accommodating. But I do think it's an effort to try to delay or to make it even more difficult for Netanyahu and the Israeli War Cabinet to make the decision to move in if there is some prospect or hope that Hamas okay. is dangling D out there. Director Brennan, I, I don't want to cut you off, but we're going to go directly to Secretary Blinken to hear his remarks and come back to you. And for the world. And he's coming here to do the following. First, the president will reaffirm the United States' solidarity with Israel and our ironclad commitment to its security. President Biden will again make clear as he's done unequivocally since Hamas's slaughter of more than 1,400 people, including at least 30 Americans, that Israel has the right and indeed the duty to defend its people from Hamas and other terrorists and to prevent future attacks. The President will hear from Israel what it needs to defend its people as we continue to work with Congress to meet those needs. Second, President Biden will underscore our crystal clear message to any actor state or non-state, trying to take advantage of this crisis to attack Israel. Don't. To that end, he's deployed two aircraft carrier groups and other military assets to the region. Third, the President will continue to coordinate closely with our Israeli partners to secure the release of hostages taken by Hamas, including men, women, small children, Holocaust survivors, and American citizens as an indispensable humanitarian effort. Fourth, President Biden will receive a comprehensive brief on Israel's war aims and strategy. Fifth, the President will hear from Israel how it will conduct its operations in a way that minimizes civilian casualties and enables humanitarian assistance to flow to civilians in Gaza in a way that does not benefit Hamas. To that end, today and at our request, the United States and Israel have agreed to develop a plan that will enable humanitarian aid from donor nations and multilateral organizations to reach civilians in Gaza, and them alone, including the possibility of creating areas to help keep civilians out of harm's way. It is critical that aid begin flowing into Gaza as soon as possible. We share Israel's concern that Hamas may seize or destroy aid entering Gaza or otherwise preventing it from reaching the people who need it. If Hamas in any way blocks humanitarian assistance from reaching civilians, including by seizing the aid itself, we'll be the first to condemn it, and we will work to prevent it from happening again. We welcome the government of Israel's commitment to work on this plan. The President very much looks forward to discussing it further when he's here on Wednesday. Thanks very much. So we just heard there Secretary Blinken after a marathon meeting uh, with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and other members of the Israeli military. Two pieces of news there, uh, a visit to Israel by the president, what's expected to that, as well as an agreement about humanitarian aid and what sounded like perhaps an agreement on a establishment of a humanitarian corridor or moving, making progress toward that. So two big pieces of news. With that, I'm going to go back to Director Brennan uh, and Jeremy Bash. Thank you so much for your time. I, I appreciate you being here and also people to ask about that. So, Director Brennan, the secretary just announced that this has been speculated about all day, that, that President Biden is going to go to Israel uh, soon this week. Uh, what do you anticipate? He laid out what, what is to be expected, but do you think that's the right decision? Uh, what do you think he will get out of that trip? Uh, what's a success look like? 
well, I think, first of all, it reflects the depth of President Biden's support for Israel and uh, his support uh, for Israel to be able to defend itself against these horrific terrorist attacks. And clearly, he also is going to emphasize, to the greatest extent possible, the importance of trying to protect civilian life and in, in Gaza and to ensure that there's going to be some type of humanitarian relief for all of these thousands, millions of citizens in, in Gaza who have not had anything to do with this, these attacks. So uh, it's uh, rather um, a bit of a risk uh, in terms of going over there, because I think people are going to see that the United States is closely identified with whatever Israel then does in terms of a military incursion into Gaza. But again, I think President Biden feels so strongly about this, about the support for Israel, but also the importance of trying to protect civilian life and the life of innocence, that he's willing to go to this extent uh, and make that trip to Israel uh, within uh, two days. Yeah, it's very soon. It's a quick turnaround. I know that's what they're focused on in the White House right now. And Jeremy, he, he didn't talk about this, but he, he did mention the, the carriers, the two carriers that are there. But he didn't talk about the announcement made by the Department of Defense today uh, that 2,000 U.S. troops were given prepare to deploy orders for possible support to Israel. I don't want to overcrank or undercrank this, but I think a lot of people are wondering, what does that mean? What could that include? And, and what could be expanded to? So you've been a part of these announcements. What should we understand about it? Well, with this announcement just now here in the last few minutes from Secretary Blinken, President Biden's going to be in Israel on Wednesday, and he's going there to show both emotional and moral support for Israel, for the people of Israel, for the Jewish people, and for the Jewish state, but also very tangible support, Jen. And that tangible support comes in the form of two carrier strike groups in the eastern Mediterranean parked off Israel's coast specifically to deter Iran, to deter Hezbollah. It comes in the form of ammunition, weapons, and plane loads that are landing in Israel at this hour. And it comes, as you referenced, in the form of a set of professional liaison officers from the United States military to go coordinate with their Israeli counterparts. They're going to coordinate on, obviously, intelligence sharing. They'll coordinate on any operational activity. Um, they will also coordinate, potentially, on, on understanding the terrain in Gaza, so that as Israel goes in and conducts targeted counterterrorism operations from the ground, from the air, from naval platforms, that they do so going after Hamas's command and control and not targeting civilians, as was referenced by the Secretary of State. So it sounds like intelligence, deterrence, uh, that th those are some of the capabilities there. They also mentioned medical assistance, which I'm wondering if that means to Israel as well as to people impacted in Gaza. You know, I wanted to ask you, Director Brennan, about uh, what we heard from the Iranian foreign minister today. Uh, he told Al Arabiya that preemptive strikes against Israel are possible in the coming hours, and that, quote, if the crimes in Gaza do not stop immediately, new fronts will be opened. That's his words, not ours. Uh, we have already seen increased attacks, of course, by Hezbollah over the past several days. I mean, they started early on in this conflict. An Iranian proxy, of course, Hezbollah. Um, on the border of Lebanon. But what did you make of that warning? It sounded pretty stark to me from Iran, but they've made these warnings before. How, how should we read it? Well, Iran is noted for its saber-rattling, and mm. it's unclear whether or not there's actually something that's going to follow up on that. But as the northern border of Israel heats up with these Hezbollah rocket attacks and return Israeli fire, there is the prospect that that could become another front. And so I think that the show of U.S. military force in the region, as well as President Biden's trip out there is designed to send a very clear signal to those outside of this area of right now the conflict that they better not get engaged because the United States is willing and able to do everything necessary to support the state of Israel. 
And so I, I do think that possibly those re remarks by the Iranian foreign minister today may, may have uh, convinced uh, President Biden that this is the time to go to show the flag in the most tangible, high-profile way possible that the United States is with Israel and will make sure that we stand with it against any adversaries that may decide to enter this fray. There are, Jeremy, as you well know, as Director Brennan well knows, so many uh, contingency plans that exist in the mm -hmm. U.S. government that you have no plans of you or you don't want to even use. That includes the possibility of attacking Iran. I'm, I'm just curious, in, in, in addition to the capacities that we know has been announced for these 2,000 uh, troops who have been deployed or are waiting to be deployed, as well as these two ships, what is the capacity? I mean, is, is the U.S. Prepared with that with that group if Iran attacks, what are they thinking about and planning for inside the Pentagon on a day like today? Well, obviously, Jen, the United States Department of Defense can bring to bear enormous capabilities. I would argue strategic overmatch over any effort by Iran or its proxies to threaten our interests or our allies. Uh, so we do have the military power to back up the guarantees that we've laid out with respect to our Middle East policy. But, you know, I think it's also important to note that there's some things we don't have plans for. And I'll tell you one thing we don't have plans for, and that's how to rescue 200 hostages who may be held in tunnels under Gaza City. And among them maybe is up to, up to 20 Americans that are held hostage. And so that's the other, I think, important mission that liaison officers from our military branches will be performing in Israel, together with our counterparts in the IDF, which is how to understand the terrain there, how to figure out whether we're going to be negotiating for hostages, whether we're going to be rescuing hostages, whether we're going to be conforming um, military activities by the IDF around hostages. This is a highly complicated problem. It deserves the attention of the world. I'm so glad the president is going to Israel in part to say that we're not going to leave any hostage behind and we're not going to rest until all 200 of these people are returned home. Director Brennan, I mean, Jeremy, you just referenced all the complications here. You and I have talked about this on the show as well. There's the hostages. There's, of course, now they're trying to establish getting humanitarian assistance in, as Secretary Blinken just announced. Uh, the, the president is going there. Does that mean we should anticipate kind of a delay in the uh, military offensive here? Would you expect that beyond the president's trip and beyond the establishment of some of what Tony Blinken just announced? Well, I would expect that the Israelis are not going to launch the invasion while President Biden is on the ground right. in Israel. Um, but also Israel has been making additional preparations uh, for such an incursion, make sure that they're able to uh, take care of uh, wounded uh, and make sure that the logistics and uh, all the different types of support that is necessary for such a large uh, force that may go into Gaza. Um, has behind it. And so uh, I, I, I think that, again, what President Biden will do and what I think Secretary Blinken did today was to get the Israelis to give as much thought as possible to be able to strike this very impossible balance of destroying Hamas's terrorism-making capabilities, finding the leadership, destroy their arsenals of weapons, but also to try to recover the hostages safely. And in a de densely populated urban environment, where, as Jeremy mentioned, Hamas is planning and I'm sure anticipates that Israel force is going to go in there, this is going to be a very, very challenging, difficult and bloody battle that um, I'm just uh, hoping that there's going to be a way to be able to strike a balance that, again, minimizes the loss of innocent life. 
In addition to the hostages, obviously it's a completely separate situation. There's up to 600 Americans who are currently stuck in Gaza, and there have been a range of reports conflicting at times about what is happening there and why the crossing is not open. Jeremy, how have you read those reports? What do you think is going on there? What do you think the United States could do, if anything, to get it open and get those Americans out and others out? Well, it's one of the main missions of Secretary Blinken in the region to sit down with his Egyptian counterparts and pressure them to work diligently to open that border. I mean, the reason that border hasn't been opened is because Hamas has wanted the issue and Egypt have not wanted the people. I mean, let me just say that again. Hamas has wanted the issue to hem in the civilian population and not let them out. They control one side of that contiguous land border to the Sinai to Egypt. And Egypt does not want those Palestinians to come into Egypt. So it really, it really uh, falls on Hamas and Egypt to work this out, to open that land border, to let people out, to let humanitarian assistance in. We happen to have 600 Americans who are there. That's our number one priority from the perspective of the United States Department of State. But there are hundreds of thousands of innocent civilians who need humanitarian relief and who need that crossing to be open so they can get to Egypt and get to safety. Director Brennan, so much happened today in the news, and one of the things that happened is, of course, this shooting today that left two people dead in Brussels. And we don't know the motive. We don't know a lot of details at this point. It's going to take some time. But you are someone who has focused on watching out for and predicting lone wolf attacks, um, you know, people who are copycats. How concerned are you about that and some of the other threats of violence you've seen in Europe and the United States in the last couple of days? Well, I'm very concerned. I'm concerned about what Hamas might have planned in terms of carrying out terrorist attacks inside of Israel with some of the sleepers uh, that are still there that were able to infiltrate uh, the borders uh, as part of these terrorist attacks that may carry out terrorist attacks against uh, civilian targets uh, coincident with the Israeli incursion. Um, the copycats, the, the ones that are out there, this uh, awful shooting in, in Belgium that does seem to be motivated by the events in Gaza. And, and so I do think it's very prudent for officials around the globe to be able to take additional security measures uh, at uh, synagogues, at uh, Jewish community centers, at, at potential targets, but also, as we saw tragically in Chicago, uh, emotions uh, and uh, are running high on, on all sides here. And so I do think that this period of time is one that we have to be very well, watchful um, in terms of what might still happen. We're, we're still in the very, I think, early stages of what is going to, unfortunately, be a protracted uh, conflict that uh, can have manifestations uh, far outside of the Gaza-Israel uh, area. Director John Brennan, Jeremy Bash, thank you so much for being with me and hanging with me through the announcement of Secretary Blinken as well. I really appreciate you being with me tonight. Uh, for those just joining us, moments ago, Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced that President Biden will be visiting Israel on Wednesday, also announcing that the United States and Israel have agreed to develop a plan that will enable humanitarian aid to reach civilians in Gaza. This comes as Hamas says it is holding between 200 and 250 hostages in total, and they announced that they will release the foreign hostages if the necessary conditions are available. In Gaza, the humanitarian crisis is worsening by the hour. Palestinians have resorted to drinking salty tap water since there is no fuel to run the water treatment plant. There's still no update on when aid supplies can get into Gaza since the Rafah border crossing into Egypt remains closed. Joining me now is Democratic Senator Chris Murphy. He's a member of the Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, Senator, thank you so much again for joining me this evening. We just learned that President Biden will visit Israel, and I just wanted to get your reaction to that news and what you hope he will accomplish on that trip. 
Well, this will be an absolutely extraordinary visit coming just days after these unconscionable terrorist attacks and at the very moment that Israel is contemplating its next steps. Um, I think Joe Biden has shown the world why American leadership is still indispensable. Uh, and I think it's going to send an incredibly strong signal to Hamas, but to the other enemies of Israel and the United States. Uh, when Joe Biden and Benjamin Netanyahu and his war cabinet are standing shoulder to shoulder in support of the Israeli people. Uh, I'm very glad to hear the news today of uh, a plan for humanitarian aid to reach Gaza. That's absolutely critical. Um, there does not have to be a choice to made here between going after those who carried out these heinous crimes and making sure that uh, families in Gaza, especially children in Gaza, uh, are not unduly harmed. And again, um, a really exceptional moment, seven hours of meetings with the Secretary of State and Israeli leaders, uh, once again, showing um, you know how deeply committed the Biden administration is to helping Israel hold to account the people who committed these crimes, but getting it right. Senator, there was also news today, and I'll just note, Hamas is not exactly a trusty source of information, but there was news that they would be potentially open to releasing foreign nationals, including American citizens, at the right time. Now, that, of course, does not include Israeli citizens. What do you make of that, and, and should that deal be accepted if that actually becomes a reality? Well, listen, it's obviously really critical that these hostages be released immediately. And uh, we are working, as you know, through the Qataris, who do have uh, a conduit to Hamas to try to get this release as soon as possible. Um, I, I think we should be careful uh, to um, to um, accede to demands being placed on these hostages' release. Um, obviously, we want to get them back as quickly uh, as possible. I think Hamas is coming to the realization um, that holding these hostages does them much more harm than good, and my hope is that they'll be um, out of harm's way soon. It also gives them some leverage, and if they keep the Israelis, it's hard to imagine how they're going to get them back. A very difficult circumstance. I wanted to ask you about also the Department of Defense's announcement today about the deployment or the asking uh, asking members of the military to be prepared to deploy, I should say, uh, to the Middle East. Um, we're told if they are deployed, they would go to a nearby country to be prepared to support Israel in the war against Hamas. What do you think that support should look like? Are you comfortable with what you've seen announced? Are there more details you're looking for about the about the uh, deployment? So you know, we have not received any briefing on what the nature of that deployment would be, um, but clearly we are contemplating transferring some um, significant defensive equipment to uh, Israel. Uh, much of that equipment needs U.S. support and backup. And we also have significant U.S. assets in the region. We have uh, thousands of U.S. troops there. And as this conflict threatens to widen, it just makes sense for us to uh, bring 
uh, increased assets to bear in the region to send a signal to Iran and others that if they want to um, increase the scope of this conflict, that they are eventually going to come head-to-head -head with the United States. So, in order to best support Israel, especially as we flow more um, lethal aid to them, there's going to be need to be some American personnel to provide logistical support, but we also want to send that strong message of deterrence to Iran and to others in the region. The White House wants Congress to pass an aid package to Israel. You want Congress to pass an aid package to Israel. Uh, and Senator Schumer has also called for humanitarian to aid to Palestinians to be included. Do you think it should include specific assistance for Gaza, or, or how do you think that should be structured? It's obviously very difficult to deliver that, but they're in such dire need. Well, this uh, announcement likely makes um, the uh, inclusion of aid um, more viable. It was obviously a question as to whether we were going to be able to get that aid in. Now we may be able to uh, have a pathway to get uh, aid into Gaza. The U.N. has already issued an appeal, and um, I'm uh, pressing the administration and my colleagues to uh, make sure the United States does its part to meet that appeal. Others will contribute funding as well. Uh, but certainly, it makes sense to um, flow forward the weapons, um, the interceptors that Israel needs, along with the money necessary to deal with the humanitarian consequences of this war. Um, that's how we approach conflict overseas. We put in the money necessary to fight the bad guys, but then we also put in the money to try uh, to hold civilians as harmless as possible. And um, we sh should uh, simply stick tr stay true. Uh, to that historic strategy, that historic plan, as we help Israel uh, go after uh, Hamas inside Gaza. You're, you're very familiar, Senator, with the dynamics in the region. You've been working on these issues for so many years. I was asking our my prior guests about Egypt and the Rafah crossing, because there's been so much conflicting information about what's happening there and why it's closed. What is your assessment of what's happening there? What needs to happen in order for the Rafah crossing to open? There's up to 600 Americans, of course, stuck in Gaza right now. Yeah, I will say this is very frustrating. I understand Egypt's concern, which is that if the crossing is um, completely opened, you would have a massive flow of refugees into the Sinai, which uh, Egypt can simply not handle. But there is a way to have a limited opening so that Americans can leave and uh, supplies, humanitarian relief, can come in. Um, Egypt is a supposed ally of the United States. In fact, the only country um, that gets more military aid coming from taxpayers in the United States than Egypt is Israel. They're the second biggest uh, recipient of U.S. military aid. And so it is frustrating that it has been so difficult to convince Egypt to open up that crossing for these mm -hmm. limited purposes. Uh, my hope is that tomorrow you will see that crossing opened and you will see Americans coming out, humanitarian aid going in, and we are no longer going to have to be in a negotiation with Egypt over this. I mean, Egypt is obviously a very important partner on, on the national security front of the United States. But as you mentioned, we give them so much. The United States gives them so much military aid. Should that be part of the discussion if they don't open up this border crossing? 
Well, the, the, the idea of this military aid is that it binds Egypt to us. I have been a critic for years of the amount of military aid we give to Egypt, and the supporters of it say it's absolutely necessary in order to make sure that when the chips are down, when a crisis is in our midst, that Egypt will ally with us, will side with us. And right now, we're having a really hard time getting Egypt to just do the basics of opening up that crossing. And so, of course, if this continues uh, to be a an, an issue, if we can't convince the Egyptians to let Americans out and let aid in, of course, that is going to have consequences for our relationship with uh, with Egypt in, in, in the future. And, and a reminder of the refugees have very few places to go, and that is also a big challenge. Senator Chris Murphy, thank you so much for joining me uh, this evening. Really appreciate your time. Republican presidential candidate Chris Christie joins me after a quick break. I'll get his reaction to tonight's breaking news. President Biden set to travel to Israel on Wednesday. Stay with us. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top quality personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash Sirius XM. At Audi, expectations matter. It's why what's standard on every Audi SUV are features that exceed yours. How we get there matters. The Audi family of SUVs. Progress you can feel. We're following some major breaking news tonight from Secretary of State Antony Blinken, who announced earlier this hour that President Biden will be traveling to Israel this week in a show of solidarity with our closest ally in the Middle East. As the Israel-Hamas war rages on, we also have news tonight on the possibility of U.S. involvement on the ground in the region. A defense official tells NBC News roughly 2,000 U.S. troops have been told to prepare for a possible deployment to support Israel. Those troops include service members with a variety of specialties, from medical support to explosives experts. If given the orders, they would not necessarily go to Israel or Gaza, but to a nearby country to be prepared to support Israel as this war continues. Joining me now is former New Jersey governor and Republican presidential candidate Chris Christie. Governor, uh, thank you for joining me this evening. I do want to start uh, with the know. news we just learned in the last 30 minutes, uh, getting your reaction to President Biden's decision to travel to Israel on Wednesday. Is, I know you disagree on a lot, but do you think that is the right move? It is. Look, I think there should be absolutely no doubt in anyone in the world's minds about whether there's any daylight between the United States and Israel, and there should be none. And I think the president of the United States deciding to go over there, um, see things for himself, and talk in person uh, to Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, and the rest of his cabinet uh, makes a great deal of sense, and I think it's a good thing for the president to be doing. I wanted to also get your reaction. There's a lot of news today about the news of 2,000 U.S. troops being notified about deployment across the Middle East. You know, obviously, we're learning details about what they'll be doing. But do you think uh, there is a scenario in which American troops should be fighting in this war? Or what, what kind of role would you be comfortable with? No, I don't think American troops should be fighting in this war, and mostly, Jen, because I don't believe they're going to be necessary. I think the Israeli Defense Forces are some of the best-trained uh, military men and women in the world. Uh, and I think that they'll do 
an incredibly good job at doing what needs to be done to suppress Hamas um, and to bring peace back to their country, first and foremost, uh, and to the rest of the, of the region. So I don't think that would be necessary. And, and I think if there are some troops that are needed to play a support role in a country outside of Israel um, or outside of Gaza, um, in the way you just described, that's something that I would consider. Um, but I think that what we need to do more than anything else is to provide them with the military hardware support that they need to keep up with um, the awful terrorist attack that was perpetrated on uh, on Israel, and, and to make sure that they have everything they need to defend themselves. The Israelis are proud people, and I think they're going to want to do this on their own. Richard, one of the trickiest issues around this conflict is, of course, the hostages uh, and all of the families who are just suffering and looking for updates. Richard Engel is reporting that Hamas says they're prepared to release the non-Israeli hostages when the conditions are right. Uh, obviously, they're not a trustworthy source here, but should a deal be struck to get American citizens out, even if it leaves Israelis in the hands of Hamas? I mean, would you take that deal? Look, I, I don't know what it means when the conditions are right. The conditions were right for them never to be taken in the first place, and the conditions are right at any moment since then for them to return these hostages both to Israel and to the United States. And what I would say is, look, I'm not in the mood to make any deal with Hamas. Um, they should be returning these innocent civilians exactly where they belong, back to Israel, where they were taken from in the first place. So I'm not in the mood, Jen, to be making any deals um, with Hamas, nor do I take, as you mentioned, their word as credible at all. Um, I think this is just a way of them trying to lower the heat for them having done an awful, awful act against civilians, murdering them, decapitating them, and ultimately, with many of them, capturing them and holding them hostage. Uh, those are not the kind of people you're looking to make a deal with. Those are the kind of people who should be considering what the alternative is to them returning these folks. It's not going to be good for them. There's no question Governor Hamas is a horrific organization that just committed an act of terror against the Israeli people, but they are also the ones holding these hostages. And you're running for president. If, if you were in the Oval Office right now, what state steps would you be taking to bring them home? Well, look, I'd be using um, our intelligence community and our intelligence relationships around the world to attempt to locate them. Um, and then I would consider all the options that our military and intelligence team laid out in front of me. Um, we have done uh, rescue rescues, rescues before. Um, that would be something that'd be on the table to be considered. But you don't know what the circumstances are on the ground. I certainly don't. I trust President Biden does, but I'm not getting those briefings, Jen, so it's hard for me to say. But I would use the intelligence assets and the military assets that we have in the region to make sure we locate where these hostages are, determine, if we can, whether they're safe or not, and then to make a decision about the best way to have them released. And one of those things might be a hostage rescue mission. It sounds like a military operation. There's also, of course, negotiations through diplomatic channels. We don't talk—the United States doesn't talk directly to Hamas, but through Qatar or Turkey. Are those options still you would consider, if you were president, negotiations through those third-party countries? Well, I wouldn't say negotiations, Jan. I'd say discussions. Um, I don't think we should be giving uh, Hamas anything uh, for the release of these innocent civilians. And so I—, I, I you know, I beg away a little bit from the term negotiations. I think we should be involved in, with discuss, in discussions with intermediary groups to find out 
What's the condition of these folks? Are they being fed? Are they being treated appropriately? Are they following all of the, the various rules that go along with how you treat these folks? Um, and then make a determination whether or not there's anything we could do to help uh, facilitate and precipitate that release. But I'm not looking to negotiate right now with Hamas. I don't think they're in a position um, where we'd want to negotiate with folks because they're simply not trustworthy. It may be the only—it is sometimes the only option, but obviously there's lots being considered right now. I wanted to ask you about Iran. You've obviously been very outspoken about your views about the threat of Iran. It's, their language is growing increasingly threatening toward Israel, with the Iranian foreign minister saying today it's possible to imagine preemptive steps against Israel. Now, it's also true they're sable rattlers, so it doesn't mean they'll back it up. But I wanted to know—I mean, if you were commander-in-chief, would you— be considering preemptive military action? What, what would be appropriate for the United States at this moment as it relates to Iran? Jen, I wouldn't take anything off the table. And I would, I would quibble a bit with the idea that their, their language is getting even more hostile to Israel. This is a regime that absolutely believes in the destruction and disintegration of Israel off the face of the earth. I don't know that you get a whole lot more hostile than that, to tell you the truth. And the fact is that um, I don't think we should take anything off the table in terms of dealing with Iran. Let's remember um, what I believe was clearly an Iran, if not sponsored, and an attack that was given permission to go forward by Iran that killed Americans in Israel. Uh, when Americans are killed on foreign soil, um, and that, that murder is, you know, encouraged or at least permitted by a foreign government, we shouldn't take any option off of the table. Um, for dealing with Iran. And so, you know, I don't, I don't rule that out, um, because I think that we should keep every option available to us, given that this is a regime who I am confident um, was, uh, was involved in an action that resulted in the murder of Americans. Well, I do need to say, I mean, Hamas obviously wouldn't exist without Iran. There is still uh, exploration of the intelligence on that front from within Israel and within the United States. That can take some time, as we all know. I, I wanted to, before, before we take a quick break, I want to ask you just about Donald Trump's comments, uh, because he called Hezbollah smart. He attacked Prime Minister Netanyahu. At the same time, President Biden has promised steadfast, steadfast support for Israel and one praise from the prime minister. Again, I know you have disagreements, but are you happier that Joe Biden is in the Oval Office right now over Donald <laughs> Trump in the midst of this crisis? Well, you know, if I had my choice, Jen, I'd rather have neither. Um, but the, but the <laughs> point is— You'd rather have yourself, I uh, guess. That's true. Yeah, you know, that's why I'm running. But, the, but look, the point is this. Um, Donald Trump, and I said this um, uh, just last week, those comments were the comments of a fool, an absolute fool, both in the way he said them, when he said them, and how he said them. And as I said to you right off the top, you know, I support what President Biden is doing by going to Israel, and I support the comments that President Biden has made in contrast to the foolish comments being made by Donald Trump. You do not give aid and comfort, even in your language to an enemy of Israel while they're in the midst of being attacked by a terrorist group and threatened by another terrorist group, both of which are sponsored by the largest exporter of terror in the world in Iran. Donald Trump should know better, but he doesn't. And that's why he should be disqualified from being seriously considered for president of the United States. That's why I'm taking him on, and that's why we put an ad out, um, our super PAC put an ad out today, um, saying exactly that. 
I know there's other reasons you think he should be disqualified. We're going to talk about those after the break, including a partial gag order imposed on Donald Trump today. We'll be right back with Governor Christie. Stay with us. Today, the judge overseeing the federal election interference case against Donald Trump granted a limited gag order against the former president. Judge Tanya Chutkin's order bars Trump from making statements about potential witnesses and from making disparaging comments about Jack Smith and his team, as well as court staff and personnel. Judge Chutkin explained her decision in the courtroom today, saying, quote, Mr. Trump may still vigorously seek public support as a presidential candidate criticize the current administration and assert his belief that the prosec this prosecution is politically motivated. But those critical First Amendment freedoms do not allow him to launch a pretrial smear campaign against participating government staff, their families, and foreseeable witnesses. I cannot imagine any other criminal case in which a criminal defendant could call prosecutors deranged or a thug. No other defendant would be allowed to do so, and I'm not going to allow it in this case, the words of Judge Chutkin. Back with me is former New Jersey governor and Republican presidential candidate Chris Christie. So, Governor, Donald Trump is already openly complaining about the gag order and Judge Chutkin. I, I want to take a listen. You've probably seen this, but everybody may not have, to what Trump said just a couple of hours ago. A judge uh, gave a gag order today. Did you hear that on speech? which I believe is totally unconstitutional, what she did. A judge gave a gag order. A judge doesn't like me too much. Her whole life is not liking me. I, I think us non-lawyers are trying to evaluate what violates the gag order and what doesn't. I mean, did he already violate the gag order by complaining about Judge Chutkin? What, what's your view on that? He probably didn't violate the gag order, but look, he will. I mean, that's we know, Jen. He will. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the fact is that this is the problem with having a Republican candidate for president who is under indictment in four different jurisdictions. These kind of things happen to defendants all the time. Gag orders are often put in place. I was a U.S. attorney for seven years, and we saw this happen any number of times. You're not allowed to do this. And because he's running for president, he thinks somehow the law does not apply to him. It does. And so the fact is that I think that appears to be—I didn't see the whole order—but it appears to be a pretty narrowly tailored order that tries to prevent him from polluting a jury pool um, against certain witnesses and against the government. He gets to say it was a politically—it's a politically motivated prosecution, if that's what he wants to say. Um, but he doesn't get to attack individuals, which is his, you know, stock and trade. So I think he came close to the line on that one. Um, in saying she doesn't like me and that she has a history of not liking me. My guess is it's not going to take that. If she's going to call him on it, it's going to take something much more direct. But look, this is the awful temperament of the guy who is currently the front runner for the nomination of my party. And that's why I'm out here calling him out directly on this stuff, Jen, because his conduct is beneath the office that he was privileged to hold. Do you think, one, should it—you said it was narrow. It did read as narrow. Should it have been wider? And, and what do you think—she mentioned sanctions. What do you think those look like? What, what should they look like? Look, you know, typically, um, sanctions in those kind of cases can be pretty broad in terms of financial fines and other penalties for violating an order of the court. Um, but, look, this is a different situation, Jen because he is running for president of the United States. So I think it should have been narrowly tailored, because he still has the right to go after um, the office that he's seeking, and there's nothing that legally prevents him from doing so. 
Um, but, you know, I don't think that, um, in the end, his argument about the Constitution carries much water. This stuff happens all the time. And by the way, by the way, this is a guy who said it would be okay to suspend the Constitution if you thought that an election um, were not going your way. So I don't think um, anyone should really, uh, you know, lean on Donald Trump too much for constitutional interpretation. You mentioned this already. I mean, he is the leading candidate, far and away the Republican frontrunner. What do you think that says about the party right now? That this is a guy who's making threats, he's attacking the president, you know, the prime minister of Israel, and he's still far and away the frontrunner in the Republican primary? Well, look, what I think it, it, it shows, uh, Jen, and you know this from being involved in this business, he's the incumbent. He's won the nomination twice. Most Republicans think about him more than they think about the rest of us. That's our job over the next three or four months, is to start to, you know, go after that. Um, and what you need to do, Jed, as a candidate, is have your views and your thoughts out there as clearly and directly as possible. You, know, you saw today that our, the super PAC that supports our candidacy put out a very direct ad with me calling Donald Trump a fool and unfit for office. You saw Ron DeSantis's super PAC put out an ad today where he's implying bad things about Trump, but they won't even say his name. That's not leadership. That's cowardice. And, you know, fact is, if we want to have a race where you can actually beat the frontrunner, you have to actually run against the frontrunner. And you've seen the RNC trying to restrict argument and debate. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy and I were going to have a conversation on another network for 45 minutes, and the RNC told us if we did it, we'd be kept off the debate stage, because Trump doesn't want these arguments on the debate stage. He doesn't want them broadly given. That's why, you know, um, for folks out there who care about this and want Trump taken on directly, make sure they keep me on the debate stage. Go to chrischristie.com, donate a dollar. Um, you'll keep me on the debate stage, and I'll be there to confront him when he does show up, and he will. All right. Well, before I let you go, I wanted to ask you about what's happening in the House right now or this week, because House Republicans, you said they need to quit arguing and pick a speaker. It's obviously holding back aid to Israel, holding back aid to Ukraine. Right now, Jim Jordan is their candidate. He's a close Trump ally. He's someone who actively worked to overturn the 2020 election results. I mean, would you support him becoming the speaker? Jen, you know, I was a governor, as you know, for two terms in New Jersey. And one of the things I learned quite painfully is that people who want to be an executive shouldn't get involved in, uh, in legislative leadership races. It almost always leads to bad things and winds up the person that you support winds up not getting it and the person you oppose winds up doing it. Let me just say this. It has been too long already without a speaker. Pick someone that they have confidence in that will lead the House on the Republican side and get to the hard work that needs to be done supporting Israel and supporting Ukraine in the conflicts against our adversaries, China, Russia, North Korea, and Iran. And we need to do that, support our friends in Ukraine and Israel, get a speaker, let's get it done, and let's move on. Stop the childhood games, the classroom games. It's embarrassing. So even if it's Jim Jordan, not a rousing endorsement, but you're going to let them decide. They, they get elected to decide, Jen. I don't get a vote on speaker. Um, I'm running for president of the United States. Governor Chris Christie, thank you for your time. Expectations matter. What do you expect from an SUV? Versatility? A range of sizes built to fit your life? A range of exteriors that all invite stairs? or being able to take control of more than just the wheel. 
Expectations matter, but exceeding them matters more. How we get there matters. The Audi family of SUVs. Progress you can feel. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. This evening. Coming up, much more on the big breaking news of the night. President Biden will be traveling to Israel on Wednesday. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We had some major breaking news this evening. Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced earlier this hour that President Biden will be traveling to Israel on Wednesday in a show of solidarity with our closest ally in the region. Secretary Blinken emphasized that the president will be personally briefed on Israel's war effort. He will coordinate efforts to facilitate humanitarian aid and to secure the release of hostages taken by Hamas. Additionally, Blinken said that the visit will underscore the administration's message to Israel's enemies to stay out of the war as we see uh, tensions escalating on the border. Late tonight, NSC spokesperson John Kirby said that the trip will also include a stop in Jordan. President Biden will meet with King Abdullah, as well as Egyptian President Sisi and Palestinian Authority President Abbas. That does it for me tonight. The Rachel Maddow Show starts right now. At Audi, expectations matter. It's why what's standard on every Audi SUV are features that exceed yours. How we get there matters. The Audi family of SUVs. Progress you can feel.